This is the Tanakh Podcast with Alex Israel. Today, Yishayahu Perek Lamatet, Isaiah 39. Our chapter today uh, continues with the stories of the Assyrian siege of Yerushalayim, and this is in fact the final episode, the episode where Moradach Baladan ben Baladan, the Babylonian leader, comes to visit Chizkiyahu, and Chizkiyahu is criticized by the prophet. Now, we've discussed this exact story in our podcast on Malachim Bet Perakhaf, chapter 20 of Second Kings, and any of you who want to study this perak, this chapter, uh, are welcome to go back and check out that podcast. But I'm going to use our time today to talk about a second, a, a, a completely different topic, uh, a topic which relates to this point in Yeshayahu. Because here we are in chapter 39. Tomorrow we're going to start Nachamu Nachamu Ami, chapter 40. And um, according to many people, this is the, the the gap between 39 and 40 it doesn't just represent the exchange of a chapter but in fact this represents two completely different books two books you'll say this is all the book of isaiah but actually if you look in academic sources they will talk about you know isaiah and deutero isaiah they'll talk about two authors of yeshayahu and what I want to try and do is examine a couple of questions. Number one, is there any basis to this? Number two, is this legitimate from a orthodox religious perspective to come along with such ideas? Uh, where would we put ourselves with this theory? Where does it come from? Why do people say such a thing? And uh, so let's set sail. As we've seen, Yeshayahu is placed in a very, very specific time window. The opening chapter tells us the visions of Yeshayahu, the son of Amotz, who prophesied about Judah and Jerusalem in the days of, and it lists four kings, Uziyahu, Yotam, Achaz, and Chizkiyahu. And we've actually gone through this entire period. In chapter 6, we saw Uziyahu in chapter 7, 8, Achaz, and then we moved on to Chizkiyahu, and here we are. But all of this takes us, if we're talking about the Assyrian attack on Jerusalem, takes us to 701 BCE. Well, when we look at the second half of the uh, Sefer, we will see um, that the Sefer assumes that in fact, the Khorban Habayit has happened, that the temple has been destroyed. Here, let me give you an example from chapter 64, Perak Samach Dalad. We say, Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Sion Midbar Hayata. Yerushalayim Shmama. Jerusalem is destroyed. And listen to this line, chapter 64, verse 10. Your holy house, the house of your splendor, has been burnt. So in other words, it sounds like very much that the Chorban has happened. 
Now that Khorban is happening 120 years after the last events we saw. This doesn't sound like the same period. Maybe I'll give you another example. Perak Mem Gimel, Pasuk Yud Dalet, tells us, I'm just turning the pages here, Mem Gimel, Pasuk Yud Dalet, Ko Amar Hashem Gualchem Kudosh Yisrael, so says God, I am your Redeemer, the Sacred One of Israel, Lema'anchem Shilachti Bavela, I have sent you to Bavel, Baharadti Brichim Kulam Bekastim Boniot Rinatam, um, he talks about how he sent them to the lands of the Kasdians, to Bavel. But that doesn't accord with the period of Chizkiyahu. Or if you take a look, even in Perak Memchet. Um, Perak Memchet, what's the line here? Um, Perak Memchet Pasuchaf. Tsuumi Bavel. <laughs> it's time to leave Babylon. Birchumi Kasdim. Ex- exit the land of the Kasdians, Bukorina, with a voice of joy. Um, God has redeemed his servant Jacob. So here we find ourselves, it seems like the reality that we're talking about, and when we say, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, um, you know, comfort ye, comfort, comfort you, my, my nation. What are we comforting people for? Not because of the Assyrian attack, but because of the Khurban, because of the destruction of the temple and the Babylonian exile, and we find ourselves in Babylon. This doesn't accord with the period of, of Yishayahu. A second proof, um, or second point, that is worthwhile mentioning. Parak Mandalad talks about Koresh Roi, talks about the King Cyrus. Who says to Yerushalayim, Tibanev Hechalti Vased, that Koresh, Cyrus, is the one who says that Jerusalem may be built in the very next verse, chapter 45, verse 1, Ko Amar Hashem Limshicho, so says God to his anointed one, to Koresh. And he talks about the idea that Liftach Lefanav Delatayim Usharayim Lo that he will open the gates for him. Cyrus? Cyrus came to power in 538 BCE. We're talking about something like uh, 160 years after the events of Yeshayahu. It's possible that Yeshayahu prophesied about such things, but it's very unusual for a prophet to actually name somebody specifically. Prophets will talk in generalities about future events. Maybe we'll talk about this more when we get to that chapter, but this is strange. Moreover, uh, the, the the name Yishayahu is mentioned plenty of times in the first 40 chapters of the book, first 39. But in the last 26 chapters of the book, from chapter 40 to chapter 66, Yishayahu's name is not mentioned. So this is remarkable. And in fact, there's language which is unique to Second Isaiah to those chapters, 40 to 66, special language. I'll give you just one example. The notion of Yisrael Avdi, that Israel is my servant, comes up over 10 times in these chapters, none at all in the in, in the first half of the Sefer. The phrase Kol Basar, the phrase Alev, Dabru Alev Yerushalayim, unique phrases to the second half, describing God as uh, the Borei, Right, the, the creation of nature, 
so many examples from the second half of uh, Yeshayahu, where he talks about Ani Hashem Barativ, Uraumi Bara'ele, the whole time talking about who created um, Kadosh Yisrael Bara'a, about, again, 15 examples of the words Borei, Yotze, God creating um, nature, God creating the world. You won't find one instance in the first half. So, if we say that the second half, the name of Ishayahu is absent, it's got unique language. It um, mentions the King Cyrus, who lives much later, and assumes that the people are actually in Bavel and the temple is destroyed. We would come to the conclusion that this relates to a completely different period. Now, it's possible, it is highly possible, that Ishayahu is a prophet could have written the 39 chapters for his own purposes, uh, for his own time, for his own events, and then as a prophet he could have prophesied about the future. It's possible. But is that the only theory that we can have? You know, it's interesting. Um, Ishayahu, we read all his prophecies, and then we had four historical chapters. Well, in the book of Yirmiyahu, we also have all Jeremiah's, uh, and those four historical chapters are lifted out of the book of Kings. The same pattern we find in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah has all his prophecies, and then the final chapter describes the destruction of the temple verbatim from the book of Malachim. So maybe we have a pattern. Maybe we have a pattern that the first 39 chapters are indeed the prophecies of Isaiah, and we conclude his segment with uh, historical chapters, but then Hmm, who wrote the end of Yeshayahu? And let me say that there are lots of parallels between the first 39 chapters of Yeshayahu and the last 26, a lot, and it seems to be very beautifully edited. So much so that we come to a conclusion that possibly there really are two authors, but the, the author of the what we'll call second Isaiah is in fact maybe somebody from his prophetic school, a student of a student. You could well imagine that somebody today teaching the works of Russell of Aitchik, teaching the works of, of Ruff Cook, might use similar terminology, similar language to their master. And therefore, you know, it totally works. There being two authors coming from the same school. You know, all of that said, though, uh, traditionally, we see Ishayahu as a single book. And we know that, for example, Ben Sirah, an ancient Jewish book from the 3rd century BCE, talks about one book of Isaiah. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we find Isaiah as a unified unit. Uh, same true in the Septuagint and the Vulgate. So in traditional Jewish sources, we actually see Yishayahu as a single unit. And maybe this makes a, a, a very deep statement, even if we can identify a certain shift in time frame and a shift in, in possibly authorship for the second half. Maybe we're making a very, very deep comment. If the first half condemns Am Yisrael and talk about apocalypse and the survival of the She'irit, suddenly the second half is going to talk about comfort and about hope and about return in a far more um, positive and optimistic way. Uh, than we could ever imagine in the first half. 
And maybe that's making a deep statement about, about Jewish theology, that um, just as much as we believe in, in judgment and we believe in the Midat Hadin, there is also the side of the, the attribute of mercy, the Midat HaRachamim, and that ultimately the two have to be held together in some sort of balance, just like the first half of Ishayahu and the second half of Ishayahu present to us. That's it for today, Lee Drought.